What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Joe Palmer from the Concilium Capital Group. Today, we're going to talk about why busy professionals should consider adding notes to their portfolio and equally importantly, when you should consider adding notes to your portfolio. Joe has invested in a number of asset classes in his time in real estate, and he ended up in notes right now for a very important reason driven by his investors. And we're going to talk about that today and why he's in notes and why we should consider being in notes as well. It's a great interview. If you're looking for steady, passive income, then notes just might be the right thing for you to dig into. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a busy professional, a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator, which means I buy multifamily real estate with passive investors. And I love talking about investing and wealth building and ways that we can generate additional streams of income to grow our wealth in our spare time. Once again, thank you for tuning in today. Today, our guest is Joe Palmer from the Concilium Capital Group. And without further ado, here we go. Joe, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Taylor. It's great to talk with you. Uh, you know, I gave a little bit of a summary of your history, but you know, for everybody out there, can you, you know, sum up what brought you to where you are today? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, back uh, uh, prior to 2007, um, I was in a corporate world. I was, a, a, you know, a corporate working stiff like most of us. Uh, I had a, had a really good job uh, with a very large, successful telecom company, um, but was looking ahead, looking forward, eyeballing my, you know, future retirement. And like most of us in this industry, and, uh, you know, I had... Um, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and a wealth, a bunch oh, of yeah. other books. And, and of course said, that's, you know, I need to invest more that way. And as I look forward and see my retirement, that's what I think I see myself doing. So um, same, same with a bunch of family and friends. So uh, I jumped in kind of head first and uh, by 2009 and obviously watched uh, what happened in 2007, 2008, 2009 saw that the blood was in the streets, as they say. And uh, boy, if, if you're going to buy an apartment building, now's the time. So <laughs> searched and in the Dallas area at that time, was it wasn't hard. I mean, they were everywhere and they were, you know, 17, 18,000 a door and, you know, decent quality assets. Um, so we, we bought one and soon thereafter bought a second. And uh, we're rehabbing those. Um, uh, the usual model, uh, as we improved them, we raised rents. We did interior, exterior, um, appropriate level, didn't overdo it, um, had great success. So uh, very quickly found, uh, you know, we started, I started off doing this family, and mostly for myself, but had family and friends come in as investors. And it just quickly like ballooned and snowballed and had more and more and more people wanted to invest. And um, so that, that thing grew fast. Um, but as it grew fast, also so did, you know, so did the well-kept secret, as they say. <laughs> right, yeah. And, uh, the secret was out and suddenly, you know, b both good and bad, uh, the cap rates plummeted. Uh, which when you own them is, is a good thing. And our, so our values went through the roof, which is a good thing. Um, but as we were looking for more, it, it's funny, when you get spoiled and paying 18000 a door, um, then paying, you know, 42 a door seems like really crazy. 
sure. and seems really expensive. So, um, and then we started getting offers in the, the, the doors we owned and uh, my, my group. And by that time I had named it Concilium Capital Group, uh, CCG. Um, and we had a, a decent number of investors, a good sized group and a decent amount of capital deployed. Um, so we started talking, you know, obviously as, as the lead or syndicator, I would bring these offers to the group and we'd have zoom meetings like we are here. And, um, I'd say, look, we just got this offer and you know, it happened so quick. Um, it was hard to believe the offers we were getting. <laughs> and we said, well, boy, if, if we had a decision to make, uh, this, this would be a nice return on our money. But if we sell, we got to know, we got to talk about now, what would we be doing with that capital? We got into this to invest. If we sell, that's going to be a great investment return over three years, right? But then what? Because do, do we really want to buy more apartments at these, at these prices? And of course, the answer was, well, if we can find the right deal at the right price in the right location, sure. But we also knew that's going to be tougher and tougher because what was driving up the prices or driving down the cap rates was uh, East Coast, West Coast, uh, 1031 exchange money coming into Texas, right? Uh, being sold out of the East Coast and West Coast, primarily California. And um, they don't want to put it back into California at the rates they were paying out there. So at that point, Texas, Dallas in particular, was just the place a large amount of that money was coming to. So that's what we were competing with. So in the end, the group decided, uh, yes, we're going to sell. And we're going to find other avenues within real estate to invest. Um, the one that we first found was construction. At that time, we evaluated construction. Construction costs were fairly low. The construction boom was starting in Dallas. It was at the leading edge of that. Um, so construction costs were still in check, and, but the demand was high and growing higher. So we launched a bunch of construction projects. We're doing, uh, still doing uh, condominiums in downtown Dallas in the Bishop Arts District. We're doing single family uh, starter home lots out in Sanger, Texas, uh, million dollar one acre estate lots in Argyle. Um, so all in the DFW area, um, even some uh, mixed use in the uh, Old Town Louisville area. So that was what the market gave us at that time. But already that is changing. Um, and those construction costs are going up. Uh -huh. So this is what led us to another analysis to say, okay, the market gave us that for a time, but that's now evaporating on us. What's the market giving us now? At the same time, we were assessing that and, and leveraging the, the broader Concilium Capital Group to do so. Uh, within our group, we were just lucky to have an incredible mixture of real estate knowledge and talents. Um, we had real estate attorneys, uh, property managers, agents, brokers, financiers, finance brokers, uh, all with, you know, uh, all, all with 20, 30 years experience in the industry and, and a network of connections themselves, right? So we were able to look broader around the real estate industry and say, where do we go and what do we want? And at the same time, as we all know, m most of us have money in the stock market. And it was like, you know, surfing. It was like riding a roller coaster. Um, and people were starting to say, I'd really love to take more money out of there. And as I sell the next, you know, apartment building or, or we, we conclude the next construction project, I'd like to put it into something that's a little more of a steady return, a little more stable and doesn't have these wild swings to its value and to its return. 
And that discussion and the ensuing analysis is what led us to the mortgage, mortgage notes that we're doing today. Nice. Well, thanks for all of that history. You know, you've, you've gone through a number of asset classes and you've moved with the tides, I, I suppose, or moved with the, the flow of the market, if you will. And it was interesting you say about the, the roller coaster of the market, the stock market, um, because we're recording the, the first week of March here. And as right. everybody knows, the stock market is way down and a little bit back up, but maybe going to go down again. And um, the uh, interest rates were just cut recently. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're definitely living in interesting times. And, you know, I, I want to ask you a lot of questions about that. But um, so how did you notice your, like, what did your investors think about the transition from apartments to construction and, and various other things? And now, you know, or more recently getting into notes, like, what do the investors have to say? Did they drive that decision or that decision-making process and what was their input here? Good. Very good question. And the answer, the simple answer is yes, they did very much drive it. Um, And it was, you know, a lot of it was what was on their mind and what they're, they're paying attention and watching as well. And when, when, you know, you, you buy apartments for 18 grand a door and sell them for 42 a door, that's tremendous. But it, it, you, you, you know, there was this definite sense that, well, one, if we sell at this price, are we going to be willing to buy at this price, right? At these cap rates. And the simple answer was, well, no, we just, we just got a, a triple our money, you know, in, in two and a half years return. Are we going to be willing now to buy at 45 a door at a six cap, right? And, you know, everyone said, no, we, all, we, we all know we're kind of spoiled here, but no, mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want to buy at a six cap. At, yeah, the, so, they, very much they drove it. They they and like I said, we have a we have Zoom meetings like this, but with fifteen, twenty, sometimes more people on them, um, and so you get all this collection of of knowledge and experience on those calls and just pitching out ideas and and thinking out loud. Um, and those are really for, for one. For, first of all, those are really fun. We all learn. Like everyone in the group, and and that's this is one of the things that makes Concilium Capital Group very very unique. Um, and that's one of them. The way we do these meetings, um, it's wide open. Everyone contributes, everyone voices opinions. We think things through together um, and we leverage all of our collective resources together. And that's very different than how a lot of people run their, run their projects. Um, so when we did that, everyone did, it's amazing how every, you know, a couple of thoughts would be thrown out there. They would be kicked around, ideas would be contributed. And it was amazing how similar everyone thought similar feelings right and when uh and and for sure when we went into construction everyone knew this is higher risk stuff but higher return stuff but at the moment it's it's the returns are way better because the costs are nice and in check and the demand is huge so uh at the at that point in time construction made sense but as always happens in markets just a few years later not so much right and by that time we'd had a bunch of wild swings in the market um, real estate uh, cap rates continue to stay lo- go even lower and stay low, um, and um, people, you know, again, a few ideas were thrown out on these calls about, you know, I've, I've, one or two people said, I've got 
plenty of capital invested here, here, and here. And these are higher risk, higher return, and, and very lumpy return type projects, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'll put in $100,000 and get absolutely nothing for four years, and then hopefully get 200 <laughs> grand back, right? And everyone said, yeah, me too, me too, right? Everyone chimed in. And everyone's just started kind of, thoughts started gelling that, what can we do in real estate to kind of uh, hedge, right? Or diversify, however you want to say it. But what's available in real estate to put some money in, uh, maybe take it out of the market that has these wild roller coaster swings, or the next time we, we sell one of our real estate projects, put it into something in real estate that provides a nice steady return at a fairly reasonable risk level. And, and the value of it itself doesn't go up and down like a, like a stock in a stock market would um and yeah, it was that discussion and a bunch of uh people on the call contributing that led us to research uh mortgage notes and the more we researched it especially here in texas the more we started to fall in love with this with, with these notes and these investments because as we dug into some of them you can get a really nice quality asset in a very decent you know town very decent neighborhood with a very quality borrower with a nice paying job, steady job, uh, often, you know, kids. Um, and the more we researched that and learned about underwriting packages and how to evaluate underwriting packages, the more we realized, uh, and by the way, we were able to uh, deliver to the investors 8% uh, returns on these notes. Um, and people just started saying, you know, there was, was a lot of discussion. People started saying, hey, I remember when my mom and dad used to buy CDs, right? <laughs> right. And, and yeah. that's what, you know, and it's funny, as a kid, you, you hear about this and you, you don't understand what that even is or why they're doing it. Once you grow up, have kids of your own and start looking forward to retirement, all of a sudden you realize, oh, now I see the value of those CDs they were buying, right? Uh, as I get nearer to my retirement and I get nearer to the point in time when I'm going to need that money, um, the last thing I want is what just happened this week in the stock market, right? Yeah, oh, sure. Because then you're like, oh, no, I need that money. And it's upside down by 30%. I mean, that's not good. I'm, I'm supposed to cash it out now while the market is down, right? So those wild swings can trap your money. Whereas we saw these mortgage notes and realized they, they, they're not like that. You buy them at, you know, a par value or often a discounted rate to the par value to the unpaid balance. And let's say you buy a $49,000 note. It doesn't have these wild swings. It's worth that. The payments come in per an amortization schedule, principal and interest is, is um, you know, taken off by the payment and it's worth what it's worth. And it, it, it returns the same exact amount every single month, uh, right now, 8%. So it's, it's, it's providing exactly what uh, my investors were looking for. Nice. I think that's a, a very similar to the recommendations that you hear a lot in the, say, broader personal finance industry, if you will, where, they say, hey, yeah, as you kind of get closer to retirement, you should back out of stocks and buy more bonds and things that are a bit steadier, right. still produce a return, but aren't as volatile. And, and you know, for, for me in my position, you know, I'm 30 years old. Ideally, I'm quite a long ways from retirement. I mean, I, I want to keep working. And I don't need, exactly like you said, I don't need to sell my stocks. I'm not panicking because, yeah, I mean, some of my shares are upside, upside down, but you know, they're invested in great companies or, or great funds or indexes. So it's going to come back eventually. I just might have to wait a while. But folks that are closer to retirement, that is a bigger concern. So I definitely appreciate that. Now, I would think maybe even in a way that 
you're getting a better return on a typical note portfolio than say a bond based portfolio. And I'm not an expert on bonds, but they also seem to have some pretty extreme, I say price fluctuations on, at least on a percentage basis. Maybe that's just my perspective, but the note strategy as opposed to bonds or in addition to bonds seems like a, just a better way to go. Less volatility and more cash flow. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better, Taylor. You're exactly right. Um, like I say, you buy that note and it's worth what it's worth, right? It's worth what it's worth. It's not really going to go up or down. It's going to stay worth what it's worth. And it delivers uh, as, you know, we all pay a mortgage, right? We all pay a rent or a mortgage, hopefully, hopefully mortgages for most people. Um, and because you own that home, you're paying against the loan on that. So we all know you pay the exact same amount every single month. A big chunk of it is interest and a smaller portion of it is principal unless you're way, way late in the life of that loan. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, and we've all, we've all looked at that, haven't we? And we've complained about, my goodness, look at what the bank makes, right? Let's say I pay a, a 2000 bucks, <laughs> right? And you know, 1650 of that is interest, right? And only 350 of that goes towards my principal. We've all complained about that. Well, now we get to be the bank. We, we get to collect that interest and only that small amount pays down the principal balance on that note. Um, and like I said, right now we're, we're, we're delivering uh, 8% uh, interest to our investors. That's after, you know, the loadings and stuff that we have to, we have to put on it to, to be able to do it. Um, and the investors love it. A nice start, steady 8% return annualized, but month after month after month, and you literally get a login account to the loan servicer. You get to log in and see the checks every month hitting. Um, now, you know, these are subprime notes. So are some payments late? Yes. Uh, but when they're late, they come with a late fee, which actually improves the return. It's above 8%, right, when you hit a late fee or two. Um, but people, we, we get, you know, we have a, a particular box, right, of, of notes we look for. Um, we, we're right now only doing performing notes, performing for at least a year, of solid performance, no missed payments. Um, we got a full underwriting package, so we know pretty much everything about this borrower, everything about the asset, um, including appraisals and 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 you know the whole works. Um, so we and, and there's so many notes out there. We get to look through them and we get to pick pick out the best notes, the ones with the best underwriting packages, the best borrower, the best asset um, with a good return. Um, so that lowers the risk, right? When you, you, get to, you get to hand pick which note you want uh, with which borrow, with which asset, and with which return, um, you, you're able to, to lower your own risk. Now, you know, is there the possibility <clears throat> that um, the note turns to non-performing at some point in the future? Mm -hmm. Of course there is, right? But what we like about it, like in all real estate, like, like Robert Kiyosaki pointed out, you have control over that, right? If, if this thing stops performing, you have control. You have, a, number one, uh, we have a first lien position on these notes. We only do notes with, where we are the first lien position. So uh, that gives you all kinds of options of what to do to get that note back to performing. Or in the worst case scenario, take the asset back, right? And go find another borrower. Uh, or just sell it if need be. But there's lots of options. And in real estate, 
uh, in mortgage notes, same as real estate, you have control over the investment. Um, and that's something we like. So, yeah, something that I find interesting here is the subprime, so to speak, you know, that, that yeah. term subprime and, you know, people have probably some, some negative, there's a negative connotation there uh, because of, yes. you know, what happened in 2007, 2008. Yeah. And, you know, how do you, how do you talk to your investors about that and explain to them the difference between the assets that you're buying, the notes that you're buying and the borrowers, and then, you know, the, the issues that happened in 2007, 2008. Yeah. About, about once a month, I do a class on this on zoom. Um, and we talk for an hour, we talk about exactly that topic because it has what happened in 2007, 2008. Um, has given subprime notes a very bad name with investors. And, and it's a shame and it shouldn't be the case because it wasn't, it wasn't the borrowers of subprime notes who, who made that happen, who, who ruined that. It wasn't, uh, you know, the investors, it wasn't the note holders. Well, in some cases it was the note holders. There were a few bad actors, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who were padding their, their mortgage backed securities bundles. Uh, and not only were they, putting uh, more subprime notes in there that were supposed to be in there that were disclosed, but they were actually originating notes that were, that were just bad loans. Right. (laughs) And in many cases, basically knowingly, you know, they were given everyone a mortgage and their dog if they wanted one. Um, And then packing them into these mortgage backed security bundles um, and, you know, basically filling them up and not, not, disclosing exactly what that bundle was comprised of. Um, so yeah, that gave it a bad name, but what I, what I, what we do on that call is we actually, I have a redacted underwriting package that we review. And as I point out to prospective investors, let's, you know, to get over, over this bad connotation of subprime notes that they're all bad. Uh, we, we do this underwriting review and um, what people see is the one I review, the one I review is actually one of my own personal notes that I, I did just for myself. Um, and it is a single mom. It's all redacted, but it's a single mom with two kids with a good paying job, 45000 a year, nice and steady, good employer. Uh, we look at the asset, we Google Earth the asset and zoom in and take a you know, tour of it on Google Street View. Uh, it's a good quality asset, good quality borrower. She's got a, a well over a year worth of solid performance. You know, she'll every, every so often she'll have a late month, but she always pays very quickly, including the late fee. Um, and with two daughters in that house, single mom, right? That home is her number one priority every month, right? What, what I, you know, I'm not going to speak for that borrower, but what I tell the investors, and it's just absolutely true. We all know it because we all have a mortgage is most people, especially these people, um, they prioritize that mortgage over food, right? I mean, they will literally pay that mortgage when the cupboards are bare. I think it's the last thing they need or want is, you know, to be foreclosed on, to be out on the street. So um, as long as you, you, you find a note with a, with a quality borrower, quality asset, um, the risk is low. In fact, the servicer we use primarily services these notes. They're very large. Um, they have run their statistics, and in the in the the 
uh, quality of notes we buy. These are, um, you know, the box as I describe it of what we're looking for. Their um, uh, default rate on those is 1.98%. So that means only two out of 100 of those notes ever default. Um, which, you know, so the question is, as an investor, are you willing to bear that risk for an 8% return? And then most investors say, well, maybe what happens if we, get, we end up with one of those default defaults in our yeah. portfolio? And then I tell, them, I tell them how we handle that. It's not that complicated. We almost never foreclose. There are multiple other options to foreclosure that are better than foreclosure that, that accomplish what we need to accomplish. So I think that's interesting that you say that because, you know, a lot of people, probably not listeners to this podcast, but people out there in the ether have this uh, negative opinion of real estate investors, whether, no matter what angle you come at it, that, you know, we just want to get in there and kick people out and, you know, just generally be bad to do business with. But yeah. you're saying you don't want to foreclose on the person, but what do you want to do? Are you restructuring the note? What's your strategy yeah. to make sure that that um, delinquent note doesn't turn into a 0% return? You want to you know, keep some return in it, right? That's a very insightful uh, point <laughs> you make in question. It really is. And, it, and I love that you ask it because you're absolutely right. Uh, people love to think of uh, real estate investors. We we get a bad rap too. Like, oh, we're just going to foreclose. We're you know we're we're dog eat dog sharks, yeah. and we're going to kick people out and take over real estate. No, that's not at all how we operate. Quite the opposite. So, absolutely, first thing we do is you work with that 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 borrower, right? Look, we all fall on hard times. We all have you know we all don't have perfectly steady income our whole lives. We there's light there's things like layoffs. Um, there's deaths in families, there's divorces, things happen. So the first thing we do is find out what's going on, right? Um, and, what, and work with that borrower, what can we do? What can we do to get you back on track, caught up? Up to and including, you know, sometimes just waiving a month, saying, look, if we just waive that month, can we skip a month, would you be able to get back on steady track, right? Um, and re restructuring, we can look at the loan and restructure that loan a little bit if, if need be. And sometimes these things can work, sometimes they don't. And in, in the worst case scenario, uh, foreclosure is just silly and expensive for, you know, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for the, it's terrible for the borrower. It's not good for us. It's expensive it, and it's very time consuming. It can take up to six months, even longer. And the whole time you're not getting payments on this asset. So, um, there's a program out there I've learned from one of my mentors. Uh, she calls cash for keys, uh, appropriately named. You, if you've tried other options and they're, they're just not going to work for, for whatever the reason, whatever the situation is with this borrower, um, and you, you present them with, look, here's how foreclosure works, and it's terrible for you, and it's not good for us, and we don't like it. Instead, and by the way, if we go down that road, here's the cost to you, here's the cost to us, we all lose. Um, instead, we'd like to give you, I'll make up some numbers here, we'd like to give you $2,000. Instead of costing you thousands, we'd like to give you 2000 And all you have to do is be out by next Monday, hand us the keys, and we give you a check for $2,000. Um, when you compare and contrast that with a borrower to foreclosure, it, it's a no-brainer right? This is almost always accepted. 
uh, and everyone wins. It's actually cheaper for for the note holder. It's better. You don't you don't damage the poor borrower's credit for the next seven years of their life. Uh, it's better for everyone. Uh, you get the asset back. You get to put it back on the market, lease it, sell it, whatever we want to do with it. Um, it's just a far more humane way and just economically logical way to handle these things. Yeah, I think something that's very notable about that is, does anybody out there expect a bank to work with you? No, they're just, right. they're going to foreclose. They don't, you're just a, a number on a spreadsheet and you're going to get shoveled through the process. Whereas, you know, a private investor can be more flexible and, and try to work to a solution that is obviously not ideal for anybody, but it's not as bad as some of the alternatives. That's exactly right. The banks do what they do. They have one process and that everyone goes through that one process. And the reason it's foreclosure is because that's the only process that will work every time. It doesn't take much effort for them. To, they don't have to manage the situation. They just put it through the process. Yeah, they can, they can check boxes and like you said, uh, put, it through, <laughs> put it through the process. That's definitely, that's interesting. I think notes are uh, definitely a great opportunity that too many people aren't aware of. Now, something I wanted to ask you because of recent events, and this episode will be out you know, a few weeks from now when, from when we're recording, but as we record, you know, the Federal Reserve just cut uh, interest rates uh, 50 bips, and I think the 10-year Treasury is under 1% for the first time in history. Now, obviously, that's not directly in, impacting the notes that you buy, but Correct. it's hard to believe that there is zero impact. So do you see there being any impact, maybe even years down the road, on the returns that you can generate? Or, or what are your thoughts about yeah. how that's going to impact your industry? Uh, another very good question. You're right. It's, it's, very, it's little impact on the, on the front end of subprime notes, right? Uh, for the simple reason that these borrowers uh, are not QM, right, or qualified mortgages. They, they do not qualify for the qualified mortgages that the banks do. So once you don't qualify for their program, then that interest rate cut means little. The reason it means little is because myself, my group, and others doing this, especially those who are originating subprime notes, they're not borrowing that money, right, from those federal programs. Um, so they're using investor money. So um, they really are very separate worlds. Now, where I do see it having uh, some impact is down the road with any note as the borrower uh, uh, maybe gets promoted, uh, gets married, um, right? And, and then can qualify or can, can basically can refi. And that's what we all hope for. That's what they're hoping for. That's what we're hoping for. Um, when you buy these notes, the average life cycle is five to seven years for these notes, right? And sometime in, in that window, on average, uh, they're going to refi the note, you're going to get paid back. They're going to sell the house, you're going to get paid back, right? There's um, many, many ways where that, that note will end and the money comes back. Um, without a doubt, the best scenario, again, the best scenario for everyone is, and, and this is the hopes and dreams of, of, these, of these folks, we, we all were first-time homebuyers once, right? Yep. And when, when we were first-time homebuyers, um, we weren't the best, uh, most qualified buyer in the world, right? We were first-time homebuyers, right? Come on, it's the, it's the empty nesters with millions of dollars in the bank. Those are the ones the banks love and are the best. So 
obviously the goal for these folks is to to acquire the house uh, in the school system they want their kids in um, make the payments and down the road refi this thing into a better a better note uh, that's more you know uh, lower interest rate uh, more 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 of the standard you know 30 year affixed uh, ideally a qualified mortgage with one of the big banks so in that scenario that's uh, without a doubt that's best for them that's we, we get our money back we get to take that money put it into another note so uh, I, I do see at that point in time there's the pos you know clearly um, the, they're going to they're going to have a better interest rate. They're going to be more motivated to do what they have to do, um, but the money comes back, and those who are originating these notes, I think, maybe see a bit of a bit of an impact on the interest rates, uh, kind of the prevailing subprime mortgage interest rates. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it's very downstream type of effects, and it's like a long term thing. And interest rates have been really low for a long time anyway so it's not like we're in this is true a new environment really yeah yeah okay great so uh right now we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor okay joe i've got three questions i ask every guest at the end of the show are you ready yes all right first one what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education it would probably be um the second apartment complex we bought which was uh, a small property called san miguel apartments in irving texas in the dallas fort worth area um now here's the thing that was the best investment why because it was the best return i've ever had or me and my my group um it, we did over three times our money in two and a half years wow now it was a great asset that we got, uh, it was an REO, bank owned, right? And uh, a small bank out of Florida that owned this Texas property. Can't even recall how they ended up with it how, <laughs> how they, in the first place, but they certainly wanted to dump it. Uh, they had um, neglected it for two years and it was, you know, in, in disrepair, um, but nothing terrible and tragic that we couldn't handle. There was some foundation issues, but in, in this area, that's not uncommon and it's not the end of the world, right? It scares some people off, but if, if you're familiar with it, it's not, it's not the end of the world. So we picked that up, but the, the big thing you can look back in hindsight and realize was we also had very lucky timing on that thing, right? So did we pick a good asset? Yeah, it was a good asset. We, we, we were first there. We, we bought it quickly, but in the grand scheme of things, it was very lucky timing, and I, I sure wish it was replicable, Right. We can certainly be doing doing those all day long if we could get them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you had to be, you had to put yourself in the position to do the deal, but the market also had to be in that condition. Uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And we don't want to, we don't want to get too big of a head and think, you know, I am the cause of all of these great things. Sometimes the market helped us too. So I think that's great insight there. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made yeah the worst investment was one of my groups uh concilium capital groups uh construction projects and the, and the, the the market was right the property was right but what made it a bad investment was we hired a bad general contractor mm. um and when you do construction 
um, everything hangs on that general contractor. And uh, we, we got a bad one. Uh, the, the project was, you know, got off to a bad start to begin with and only got worse from there. Um, in the end, it ended up with kind of lawyers involved and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And we all know anyone who's been through that, once the lawyers get involved, the only ones who win are the lawyers. <laughs> so. Ain't that the truth. Wow. Well, okay, so what could you have done differently there? If there's maybe something you could identify that you could do better, pick a better general contractor, manage them differently. I think so. I, I, we probably could have been more patient to pick a general contractor. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, and, and simply uh, probably, I think after that experience, we learned what to, what, how to better look for and identify and select a better general contractor, which since then, I think we've done a better job at. Good, good. Tough lesson to learn, but now you've learned it. My favorite lesson, my favorite question at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? The most important lesson. So I think it goes all the way back to the book that changed it all for me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. As you can tell, I'm a fan. I've read all of his books at least twice, some of them nice. three and four times. Um, just a huge fan. He, he, he nailed it. Um, back in a time when no one else was explaining this stuff. Oh, yeah. And I think the lesson that's kind of baked into many of his books, the most, is... Um, it's the, the, the thing we always hear people talk about is make your money work for you, right? Buy what an asset is. And in a couple of his books, he describes what an asset is and what an asset is not. And an asset is something that you put capital into and it works for you and it generates income, regular, steady income um, at, at, at as lower risk as possible. Um, and when you put things and of course, we all probably remember his cash flow quadrant, right? Mm -hmm. Which which was employee, self-employed, uh, business owner, and investor, right? Um, and he explains the difference between each. And most of us start life out out of college or even out of high school as an employee. We might move to the self-employed, or you might be a plumber and electrician and be self-employed right from the get-go. Um, eventually you might go to business owner, but the best quadrant is investor. And he explains why. And, and the why is exactly that. It's taking capital and putting it and knowing enough to identify the right assets, putting your capital into the right assets so that it works for you and it creates long-term wealth. And that's both from cash on cash returns. But in the case of real estate, of course, there's the principal pay down. Um, there's tax advantages. So, and there's, and there's just flat out appreciation. Real estate has always gone up with few exceptions. And of course, 2007, eight, nine was one of those few exceptions in all of us history. So I think that's been the biggest lesson of all is identifying those assets, um, and, 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 uh, acquiring them and putting your money into them, uh, and, and slowly over time, watching your, your watching wealth build, not just, you know, cash and cash returns, but long-term wealth as the value of your real estate goes up, the principal gets paid down. So uh, that's what we try to do at, at Concilium Capital Group. Uh, so far, so good. Knocking on wood right now. Uh, and yeah, we look forward to doing a lot more of it in the future. 
Nice. I like that. I really, I really like that lesson. I think it ties back very well to our previous discussion about stock prices and those kinds of fluctuations in, in that, you know, stock uh, share or whatever, a, a share of an index fund is not the same type of asset as a, an investment in say a hard piece of real estate because people get looking at their stock portfolio and they see that their price is up. So they think they have all this more money. I'm like you don't have any more money until you sell for a higher price. You're just, you know, getting right. married to, you think you have that money. You don't. Um, whereas when we own a hard asset, like a piece of real estate, yes, equity can fluctuate and go up over time, but we can also point directly to the thing we own. And there's, there's definitely something to be said about that. And we can see that we have a tenant in there or, or a, uh, an owner in the case of, uh, uh, paying the note in the case of uh, a note investment. So I think that's a, a fantastic, uh, point to bring up. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Joe, thanks for joining us today. I definitely appreciate the uh, kind of thinking about a, a mortgage note as maybe repositioning it, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, but instead of bonds, maybe we should invest in mortgage notes as we get close to retirement. I think that's a good idea. I tell you what, those are good words. I'll take those any day. It's, uh, absolutely. And, and, and your, your listeners are interested. Um, they should take a look at it. Everyone I've run into who takes a look at mortgage notes and really learns them uh, realizes that they, had, uh, they didn't fully understand what they were. Right. Again, they, some of those perceptions fall when they really learn what they are and they, and they gain more and more interest and most people end up buying some and investing in some. So absolutely, I encourage everyone to go out and learn. There's a book I'll plug. There's a book by Troy Fullwood, F-U-L-L-W-O-O-D, uh, called Power of Paper. Hmm. So if any of your uh, uh, listeners are interested, they should read that book. It's a quick read. Easy. It's kind of like a, it's very Kiyosaki-esque. If you liked Kiyosaki, you'll love Troy Fullwood's book. And then, of course, visit visit uh, investccg.com. We've got a lot out there, more and more out there about it, about uh, mortgage notes. Great. So if people want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about your company, investccg.com? Yes, sir. Best place. All right. Well, thanks for joining us once again. And I, I definitely appreciate all those lessons to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I didn't call it iTunes this time. I called it Apple Podcasts. If you know anyone out there that could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Thank you for tuning in once again. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.